0: Why podcasts? Well, not much attention is being paid to my written work. I'll say a bit more about that below. So I think it makes sense to try something else. Um, the problem may be, of course, that no one knows about the written work. But in 2005, before the book Structure and Being had been completed, I was teaching a graduate seminar on the work in progress as a visiting professor at Boston University. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> my longtime friend, David Rujnik said he didn't find the written work very interesting, but was excited by my presentations of it. I'm hoping that the podcast will be similarly appealing. Several are standalone pieces, but I also read my way through my book Toward a Philosophical Theory of Everything, adding comments as I proceed, but not explicitly distinguishing between what is in the text and what I will have added. It may be helpful for me to say a bit more about the current situation in the academic discipline of philosophy. Princeton philosopher Harry Frankfurt, in his article, Reflections on My Career in Philosophy, published in 2015, wrote the following. I quote, I believe that there is, at least in this country, a more or less general agreement among philosophers and other scholars that our subject is currently in the doldrums. Until not very long ago, there were powerful creative impulses moving energetically through the field. There was the work in England of G.E. Moore and Bertrand Russell, and of Gilbert Ryle, Paul Grice, and Herbert Hart, as well as the work of various logical positivists. In the United States, even after interest in William James and John Dewey had receded, there was lively attention to contributions by Willard Quine and Donald Davidson, John Rawls, and Saul Kripke. In addition, some philosophers were powerfully moved by the gigantic speculative edifice of Whitehead. Heidegger was having a massive impact on European philosophy— as well as on other disciplines, and not only in Europe, but here as well. And, of course, there was everywhere a vigorously appreciative and productive response to the work of Wittgenstein. The lively impact of these impressive figures has faded. We are no longer busily preoccupied with responding to them. Except for a few contributors of somewhat less general scope, such as Hoppermas, no one has replaced the imposingly great figures of the recent past in providing us with contagiously inspiring direction. Nowadays, there are really no conspicuously fresh, bold, and intellectually exciting new challenges or innovations. For the most part, the field is quiet. We seem, more or less, to be marking time. Well, for reasons I'll explain uh, a bit later, I take the work I've been doing since 2003, much of it in collaboration with with Munich philosopher Lawrence Puntel, to be conspicuously fresh, bold, and intellectually exciting. Uh, It presents new challenges, and it is innovative. The problem is that very few, as far as I can tell, very few philosophers know about it. I'm hoping the podcasts will improve that situation. Before the publication of Structure and Being, the first of, by now, three books on the project that I'm, myself, am pursuing, It came up in correspondence between me and Galen Strawson, then at Reading, if I recall correctly, currently at the University of Texas at Austin. Strawson was sufficiently interested to try to arrange, after it was published, for a review that would appear in the Times Literary Supplement. He reported that many potential reviewers turned him down, but ultimately one accepted. I asked him whether that meant that a review would actually appear, and he said that the person who had agreed to Right It had never in the past failed to come through with any promised review. The person failed to come through with this one. I was never offered any explanation why. I'm confident that Strawson never received one. He then ceased to try to find other reviewers, so there never was a Times Literary Supplement Review. Some years later, Peter, Peter von Inwagen of Notre Dame agreed to review both Structure and Being and Being and God, the second book devoted to the project, for Notre Dame Philosophical Reviews. NDPR. He never wrote the review. Again, there was no, there's no explanation that I am aware of. I believe that von Inwagen's Notre Dame colleague Gary Gutting, who was at the time editor of, the, of NDPR, never received any such explanation. If the people who committed themselves to writing reviews for the TLS or for NDPR had concluded that the books they had agreed to review were bad, why didn't they write negative reviews? I have no good answer to this question. But I deem it worth adding that by re- agreeing to write the reviews and not announcing that they were not going to do so, the two prevented Strawson and Gutting from seeking others who might actually have written reviews. There was, of course, the choice review of my, the third book, My Port of Philosophical Theory of Everything, that is quoted on my home page. The passage quoted there describes the book as, quote, a critically important work for all those deeply interested in philosophical issues and their significance for basic human concerns, end quote. But even after it became possible for Gary Gutting to quote that from this review, or indeed to send it as an attachment, he was unable to find anyone who would agree to review the book, Taptoe, for NDPR. He wrote that he thought quoting it would help, but it didn't, or at least not enough. By now the book has been out too long to qualify for being reviewed in NDPR. Again, the appearance or review might have made a positive difference. Certainly, lots of people who are now not aware of this project would have been aware of it, would have become aware of it. I have sent several philosophers I thought might be interested in the project, either copies of TAPTOE or PDFs of relevant chapters. For example, chapters 1, 2, and 6 to some who have published on the issue of human freedom, or 1, 2, and 7 to some who have published on aesthetics. I have received no indications that any has read what I sent. Fair enough. They're all busy, and my messages were unsolicited. But there are others, albeit fewer of them, who have said that if I gave them copies of the book, they would read it. Yet again, I have no evidence that any has. So, what's going on? At least two plausible explanations occur to me. One is that systematic philosophy is considered to be so dead a duck that it cannot be resuscitated. Both analytic and continental philosophy went through their Hegelian phases, and perhaps some have concluded from what they take to have been Hegel's failure with systematic philosophy that every systematic philosophy must fail. That would, of course, be a non-sequitur, but I wonder whether it nevertheless may be at work. The only significant systematic philosopher widely recognized since Hegelianism uh, ceased to be popular is Alfred North Whitehead. The second plausible explanation is that philosophers at present, most of whom are highly specialized, think it not worth their while to delve into areas beyond their specializations. This might explain why those specializing in, for example, issues of human freedom and aesthetics, might be unwilling to read TAPTO's chapters 1 and 2, which are presupposed by the chapters on freedom and beauty. Perhaps their response is, more or less, these are about topics like semantics, semantics and ontology. But I don't do semantics or ontology. This would be unreasonable, given that they unavoidably rely on semantic and ontological presuppositions, but I deem it to be a possibility nonetheless. A distinct development, perhaps better non-development, perhaps related to the non-responses considered above, involves my re-articulating being a text I first delivered as the presidential address for the Metaphysical Society of America in April 2014. Quoting a previous presidential address, Quoted by a previous speaker at that 2014 meeting of the MSA, I distinguished between engaged and flabby pluralisms and urged all present to participate in an engaged pluralism by either accepting my rearticulation of being as superior to other currently available articulations, including their own, or explaining to me why some other articulation of being was superior to mine. No engaged pluralism was in evidence at that meeting, and I am aware of none relating to this issue that has emerged since. The MSA's pluralism, as far as I can tell, is extremely flabby. Harry Frankfurt cannot, I think, be the only philosopher to consider philosophy at present to be in the doldrums. Is it not reasonable to expect, or at least to hope, that some of those with this view might be open to, or indeed eager for, something new? Something like the structural systematic philosophy on which I've been working? I certainly was eager for that. In the summer of 2003, preparing for a tutorial on analytic theories of truth, far from my home philosophical turf at the time, I read widely and, as I did, encountered several articles by Lawrence B. Puntle. I had read his work on Hegel decades before when working on my dissertation, but had not followed his subsequent development. The articles seemed clearly to be contributions to a larger project, and, intrigued by that project, I began to email him. It was some weeks before I got his first response, because he had been traveling in Eastern Europe and had had no internet connection. Once he did respond, our correspondence became intense, so intense that my then-teenage daughter took to calling him my internet boyfriend. When I learned in November or December that he was working to complete a book on the systematic philosophy he had been developing since the late 1970s, I immediately offered to translate it into English, on the fly, as it were. The reason, I was so intrigued and excited by this project that I dropped all of the philosophical work not required by my teaching in order to work with Puntel on the structural systematic philosophy, and I've been doing that ever since. I also completely changed the courses that I had been teaching, Um, no longer teaching courses on, for example, Hegel or Nietzsche or Heidegger. One who appears to have had a similar experience upon encountering this project is Johann Zibos, whose seminars involving centrally, the SSP, Structural Systematic Philosophies, Theory of Being, was held in October 2015. Surely, I think and hope, Zebras and I can't be alone. We're not quite. I could name a few others, but not many. But how to find others? Well, maybe some others will read this text or listen to this podcast. Maybe some in Zebras' seminar will be intrigued by the project, although I have no evidence that they have. And maybe some will read Rearticulating Being, which appeared in print in September 2015, and then want to read more. Then again, maybe not. As I say, I see no evidence that any have. It does seem to me that if significant interest in the structural systematic philosophy is to emerge, it must rely centrally on the interest of tenured professors of philosophy. The reason is that such professors would, like me, I would say, sacrifice nothing of importance by paying attention to this philosophy. This is not the case with graduate students some of whom have contacted me, as have some undergraduates. The crucial problem there is that if a graduate student were to write a dissertation on the SSP, there would be no academic positions for which that student could apply. There simply are no positions for specialists in systematic philosophy, with the exception, of of course, of some historical systematic philosophy, including those of Aristotle, Spinoza, and Hegel. But specialists in the SSP would not be candidates for such positions. Perhaps worth adding is that among those to whom I have sent some are all of Taptoe. Two Spinoza specialists express, in, expressed interest in the book, but several years later, I have heard from neither of them. Both continue to publish on Spinoza. So that's where things stand. Um, those of you who are listening to this podcast, I hope you will listen to other po- others of my podcasts. And I emphasize that I'm eager to correspond with you. My email address is awhite at williams.edu.